HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This program was brought to you by the Academy Opus Caseus, whose training programs bring cheese professionals to the next level. Hey, 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 I'm Jimmy Carboni from Beer Sessions Radio. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hello and welcome to Cutting the Curd, broadcasting live from Roberta's Pizza in Bushwick, Brooklyn. This is Greg Blaze, your host. I want to say a quick congrats to all the winners at the 2015 U.S. Championship Cheese Contest that happened this past week in Wisconsin. And uh, speaking of U.S. cheese, today we're not going to be talking about U.S. cheese. We're going to be taking a trip outside the United States to India, and hopefully this will be one of many international cheese discussions we have this year. Mansi Jasani is on the line with me from Mumbai. How are you doing today, Mansi? Hi, I'm doing good. How are you? I'm and good. Congratulations to everyone who won. Yeah, that's fantastic. We're, we're pre-recording this episode today uh, not on our usual Monday 5 p.m. time slot so that Monsi could join us. It's 10 a.m. here in New York and uh, 8 p.m. in India. Is that right? Yes, that's about right. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. So Mansi is the founder and operator of the Cheese Collective in Mumbai, where she makes a few varieties of goat cheese. So I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about your company and also tell us about your journey to cheese. Like, how did you get into it? Um, yeah, sure. So basically, I was, um, I was in New York for a while, and I worked at Murray's Cheese. I what? did an internship there. So I... The moment I walked into Murray's, it was like Disneyland for me. Oh, yeah. And I knew I wanted to go back to Bombay, to India, and start, you know, my own cheese store, my own cheese company. And I took, I took back everything that I started off with was all in New York, in Murray's, with Brian Ralph and Rob Coffelt. So I owe it to them. And um, it kind of uh, started when I did the boot camp with them. And at the end of it, at the end of the three days, I still wasn't cheesed out. I could still go on. I could still eat some more cheese. <laughs> so I think that's when I knew. I was like, yeah, this is, this is me. Um, yeah, so in, in Bombay, it's completely different scenario. Um, we are, India as a country is the largest supplier of milk worldwide. They yeah, have a lot of milk there. It's the largest producer, largest, uh, you know, one of the largest consumers, but the largest producer for sure. And uh, we have a great variety of buffalo milk also. Yeah, that's what I heard. And uh, are you making cheese out of any of that milk at all? Uh, not yet, no. 
So what I'm doing is I am making some fresh cheese yeah. and I'm curating the cheese from cheesemakers across India. So you have so, a cheese shop and you are a cheesemaker. Yes, a maker and monger. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. And uh, right now it's uh, small artisan. There's still The market in India is still at a very nascent stage. It still needs time to grow, but there's great potential and people with adventurous palates, they're interested in trying out new cheese. And there's a great ton of cheesemakers also across India, especially up north. And um, they, so in Kashmir, um, there's this Dutch cheesemaker in Kashmir. There is uh, a lot of French cheesemakers in Oroville and Pondicherry, which is, again, south of India. And then there are a couple of people in Bombay and Delhi and Bangalore. So the metro cities and up in the hills is where most a lot of the cheese making and consumption is right now. Why is that, do you think, as opposed to the other areas? Is it because people travel outside of, of the country and settle in those areas? They want cuisine from other countries? Or is it just the culture is uh, sort of organically grown to make cheese there? Yeah, it's it's just better. The better the quality of milk is better up north and, you know, in, in the hilly areas yeah. where it's drier and not as humid. Uh, not as humid. Um, but there, there have been people. Like, for example, um, I am also curating a cheese from Pondicherry, which is called Le Pondicherry. Uh-huh. And it's a cow, French cow milk cheese wrapped and aged in curry patta. And curry patta is curry leaf. Sure. So it's, again, a super unique <laughs> cheese. Not going to get that anywhere else. No. So there's stuff like that happening. And on the other side, there is... This is just less than 1% of the cheese, you know, the cheese scenario, where most of it is taken over by processed cheese. Yeah, a lot of it goes to large uh, dairy concerns, yeah, correct? Yeah, yeah. So that's not, yeah, that's not nice. So um, that's, that's the scenario right now. So, but I'm doing my bit with, you know, making some cheese, having cheese classes, um, encouraging cheese makers to make some more, make a good variety, use good milk. And, uh, yeah, that's, it's, it's good. Cheese and ideas and items that go with it. Is sure. So you're teaching now others to make cheese. You're taking what you learned at Murray's and you're, and you're translating it to people who uh, want to make cheese in your own country. Yes, that's true. Through other cheese makers. Who are those guys? Are, they, are these the bra- – um, who, who else is making cheese? Who have you taught to make cheese over there? So there's um, – so my – one of my colleagues, um, Aditya Raghavan, he is actually uh, in Bombay-born – um, guy who is also living in Canada. Yeah. So he he keeps coming down uh, every few months to teach people how to make mozzarella and uh, ricotta and cream cheese. He even he even did a thing in the Andaman Nicobar Islands where there's lack of you know milk itself. Yeah. But he made a bunch of fresh cheeses there, and I'm teaching you know teaching people how to make fresh soft cheeses, and also teaching people how to, you know, set up a cheese platter and how to cut cheese, how to serve cheese, cooking with cheese, stuff like that. Cheese and, you know, wine pairing, cheese and beer pairing. That's fantastic. The basics, which are still new here, so. Now, I've always thought, um, being a cheesemonger myself, that cheese, uh, the making of cheese, and as I as I learned about it, the history of cheese is born out of a need to preserve the milk um, or to preserve the nutrients that are found in the milk. Are you uh, are you passing along that, or do you share that belief or that philosophy uh, when you teach people how to make cheese? Yes, yes, definitely. 
um, especially so many people are lactose intolerant here. Yeah. Also, uh, so I've been telling them everything from the basic, you know, nutrients and, um, you know, calcium, the protein and all the nutritional facts of cheese, but also the fun element of cheese because cheese is just such a wonderful, beautiful thing and... I just want everyone to eat as much good cheese as possible. <laughs> That's fantastic. I, I share your I share your love for cheese that way. Yeah, uh, I read a, in an article in an interview that was done with you that you said your first memory of cheese was eating uh, a little bit of string cheese maybe in a park when you were a little girl. Yes, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Do you still do when you make your cheese? Do you do you still um, do you remember that when you're on the swings? And uh, I do, I that? do remember that. Although <laughs> I love artisan cheese now, and I know what is good cheese. Sure. A lot of my memories are about what was available at that time which was, you know, a string cheese or a slice of cheese. And, y- yes, that is one of my first early memories. It's also, um, you know, stealing cheese in the middle of the night. Yeah, sure. Opening up the fridge and, just, you know, gobbling up some slices. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best. I, uh, I liked that. I, I took from uh, uh, some of the research I did, I took that uh, uh, that to heart because um, I have some of those same uh, those same memories. Uh, <laughs> when I, when I was yeah. little, I didn't have a lot of good cheese around me either. But uh, the stuff that I had uh, stuck with me, and I think that that's cheese. That cheese does that to people, and it obviously has done it, that to you, um, which is great. I think. <laughs> um, so I read also that storage and transportation are the biggest challenges that cheesemakers face. In addition to uh, to India's hot climate. I was wondering if you could talk to me a little bit about what other challenges you faced, um, you know, starting your company and making it viable. Oh, definitely. So uh, everything, the first challenge, major challenge is the milk itself. Although we make so much milk, um, the quality and the consistency of it varies. Yeah. So to find a good supplier who is constant is a big challenge. It's number one challenge. And not just getting the milk, but again, all goes down to what they're eating and how they're taken care of. So that is the biggest challenge, getting, procuring the milk from um, the farm to, since I'm an urban cheesemaker currently, yeah. uh, but I'm shifting soon to like a, to the hills, so I'm happy. Well, it's, it's important, um, milk, and the, the source of your milk is, is the most important thing to make the cheese, I mean. Exactly. And uh, how the do you find that the that that you said so you said that varies. Uh, so you have some concerns sometimes about how maybe the animals are treated or how or how the milk gets to you. Right. So right now I just I have you know just one good source of milk. Right. Whereas other cheese makers across the world have either have their own herd or they have a variety of you know good sources of milk close to their. Cheese making, um, you know, uh, you know, cheese making room. So that's that's one of the challenges where there are very very few, less number of, like for goat's milk, for example. There's literally just one good supplier in. in and that's the whole what you country. make, correct? You make goat's cheese, uh, so. Yes, that's that's correct. So you have an even more difficult time finding milk because you said. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you get it. You say from one person or one one cooperative dairy in the south of the country. Yes, that's true. Just one. It's it's not even in my state. It's in another state. So it comes um, by the train, but it comes in a very secure box. So it's you know it's super fresh by the time it reaches me. Yeah. And then I I, I make cheese the minute it you know reaches me. But um, 
So again, because I am, you know, I'm, I'm lucky enough that I can figure out a route from the, um, you know, because of the net train network. Uh, yeah. But there are other places where I possibly would get good, you know, good source of cow milk or buffalo milk, but or maybe another goat source. But it, I may not be able to procure it in time. Logistics much must just be exactly. a nightmare yeah. in a country of that size. Yeah, logistics, and then once it reaches you, it's the, you know the storage and doing it from home is a challenge. Um, even when I even I'm shifting bays in a couple of months, it's going to take up a lot of uh, construction because of the again the humidity, the weather, and it's not just a hot climate. Again, it gets um, really really uh, bad when the monsoons set in. Also, sure. There's a whole bunch of, you know, microorganisms and insects and, you know, all of that. Fauna flora comes with all of that, which is good, but we need to have take all these measures. And uh, I'm following, you know, all the American, because I did my uh, another course at the Vermont Institute of Artisan Cheese Making. Mm -hmm. So we learned all the American guidelines and safety measures, and I intend to use those. But so, so what you said briefly is that so, so all of the microclimates, all of the, the, you know, the sort of saturated heavy air that's full of, uh, full of living organisms is good in a way, but you have to sort of block out the ones that you don't want to affect your cheese, correct? Is that what you're right. – and, um, right. and, and you've got to also make sure that you don't break the – like you said, you don't break the cold chain when your milk is uh, coming from, from so, so far away. As, as every time it makes a stop, it must just be – you know, there's that tenuous situation. We have all that fluid milk. Just uh, you got to keep it cold or at least safe. Wow. And That's uh, great. now, do you also import cheeses from outside of India to sell at your uh, at your co-op or at your cheese? You now you have a shop that you sell so people can come not and buy. Not yet. Not yet. Okay. So I'm just supplying to restaurants, caterers, chefs, and individual customers. Uh-huh. Uh But yes, I intend to have a shop uh, in the phase two of my. Um, Phase one is to set up a small creamery, and right after that would be a shop. Uh, once once I've established the shop is when I will look at importing cheese. That's fantastic. Again, importing is uh, I I want to import good artisan you know cheese from all over the world, and there's so many that I've been exposed to, and so many that I love, and I can't wait to share it with the rest of India, but. Um, for now, again, it's still at a very nascent stage, so I feel there's still some time for me and for India to get the good imported cheese because the duty there's a lot of import duty and another other taxes. Yeah. And um, in fact, lately there have been a lot of labeling changes also. Yeah, we're going through that here as well. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. How you so, how, how you man how you manage your. Um, your ingredients lists and things like that, all your paperwork have to be completely in line with everything you do. Yes, completely, yeah. And and another important thing, especially when it comes to making cheese in India, we are not allowed to use animal rennet. Really? So all the cheeses are veggie over there? Huh. The ones that are made here, yes. So you can eat them, but you can't make them. Why is that? Is there a reason for that law? Um, I would, so a lot of our laws in general were made during the British era. Okay. And and right after. Yeah. You know, right after we got independence, and I'm I'm sure they were updated, uh, but not as much as I 
would like it, especially <laughs> with, in, with, you know, in terms to cheese. Yeah. Because they have definitions for just, uh, say, you know, 20 probable varieties of cheese. Like, they'll actually write Gouda and then, um, it, you know, they, they'd have specifications of how much, you know, fat should be or how much cream, all of that. But that's it. That They've listed about 20 cheeses. That's it. No, nothing else. No, what about the the rest of the cheeses? Wow. You know, there's nothing. So um, one, one reason is that. The other reason is um, because most of it is processed cheese making, right? They don't. Yeah. So a lot of people, like, for example, in my state, when um, I knew a group of people who wanted to brew, start brewing beer, yeah. they had to write down the, a new law oh, because wow. there wasn't an existing law. And there so, was... I'm sorry. Yeah, so they had to write it down, get it approved, and then start making, brewing beer in, in the state of Maharashtra, where we live. So it, there's there's some sort of ambiguity in that when it comes to whether raw milk is allowed to be used or not, uh, but it's been very clearly stated that a non-animal uh, rennet has to be used, and I think it's because of the Hindu beliefs that cow is holy, you know, the cow is holy, but in 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 that even uh, you know, rennet from a calf or a kid is also not permitted. So. It's it's just the law. Does that make it tough for you as a cheesemaker? I mean, is it to to do you find that the plant enzymes are are weaker or different? Do they coagulate the milk in a different way that uh, makes it less favorable? I use I use microbial rennet, uh-huh. so it's pretty good. Yeah, a lot of the other processed cheesemakers also. Basically, a lot of cheese. Everyone um, in India uses microbial rennet more so, and uh, it's it's a good. It's not a bad. Uh, Alternative, it's a, it gives a good, clean sort of finish and taste to it, to yeah. the cheese. But, of course, I mean, you know, the whole <laughs> romance behind it. And I'm a vegetarian and I'm paying this, but, yeah. No, no well, also, um, if, um, the, the, uh, to make farmstead cheese, or the, uh, the, a lot of cheesemakers, right. European cheesemakers, um, if they practice animal husbandry, they're using their animals. You know, so they're using the rennet from the stomachs of the herds of goats that produce the milk. It's just a, a part of the way that they, um, that they use all of the, the things that the animals give them. I just think that's interesting. It reminds me of uh, the blue laws up here in the Northeast uh, about alcohol, uh, where you know, you're not allowed to sell alcohol here before noon on a Sunday uh, retail level. They're just leftover laws from, uh, of past colonies. Those are leftover from the, when the, uh, the British Empire was over here as well. Right. Right. That's fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, we're yeah, going to have... So there's, there's... There's a paper there. <laughs> no, that's good. I thought that's great to learn. Um, yeah. So we're going to have to take a short break, um, but we're going to come right back and talk more uh, with Mansi Jasani of the Cheese Collective in Mumbai. The Academy Opus Caseus is the cheese industry's unique center for professional development, offering training for cheese professionals ready to move their careers to the next level. The Academy is the only professional cheese school integrating hands-on practice, formal instruction, and curriculum-related visits in every course. The Academy's core courses for mongers and affineurs are offered at the Mons facilities in France, and abridged courses are offered in Vermont, California, and London. A structured discipline of sensory analysis is practiced daily. The Academy has been recognized by the American Cheese Society as an approved education center for those preparing for the Certified Cheese Professional Exam. Here's a reading of a quote from Kevin Palmaccio, a graduate of the program. 
The balance of time is what sets essential foundations apart from other educational opportunities. While the classroom is important, spending time at the goat farm and working alongside the Mons staff immersed us in real work and taught me real skills I've already applied in my career. As a relative newcomer to the cheese business, daily concentration on sensory analysis was paramount. As a cheesemonger, I'm now in a better position to familiarize myself with a wide range of products and sell with more confidence. For more information and to apply for courses, visit their website at academy-mons.com. That's A-C-A-D-E-M-I-E-M-O-N-S.com. Thanks so much for listening to Cutting the Curd. We're back with Mansi Jassani of the Cheese Collective in Mumbai, India. Uh, when we think Indian cheese here in America, we usually think of paneer and we think of ghee or clarified butter. But as we've learned uh, talking to Mansi in the first half of the, this episode, there's so much more that's starting to go on over there. So, uh, Mansi, I was wondering if you could tell us a, a little bit about just about the culture of dairy consumption in India in general and uh, you know how, pe- how people consume cheese there on a whole. Yeah, sure. So um, again, India as a country has been uh, has been consuming milk as is around um, seventy to seventy five percent of the milk is consumed in its liquid form, uh-huh. and the other forms are butter and ghee, like you like you mentioned, and um, just about one percent, one to one point five percent is cheese, which includes the paneer, which is the cottage you know, like a cottage cheese. And um, another another really interesting observation uh, about paneer yeah. is that the, since there's so, you know, 30% vegetarians in India and um, the rest the rest of Indians, they, they, you, they look at paneer as sort of a side dish, like a substitute for chicken or substitute for a meat. Yes. So you'd have a chicken, you know, you have a chicken... Uh, tikka with the gravy, yeah. so it would pr- essentially be the same gravy, but they would have paneer cubes instead. And you see that here, even uh, in Indian food restaurants here in right, America right. too. And as uh, my vegetarian friends who sell cheese, they love the paneer. I do too. Um, and it's a, it's 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 basically a pulled. It's well, it's it's a it's a hard ricotta paneer, correct? Or right. correct. coagulated yeah. milk. Um, so we talked a little bit before the break um, about um, the regulations, or you were talking to me about the regulations on uh, on rennet. Um, but are there any regulations on uh, on raw milk? So again, it's uh, not very clear about uh, because in India as a country is very okay has historically has been okay with consuming raw milk. Uh-huh. It's um, encouraged, especially if you're on a farm and. Uh, you know, you, especially North India, there it's it's like a, you know, kind of like a saying that oh, Punjabi Punjabi men drink milk straight from the, you straight know, from the, the cow, cow or the buffalo, <laughs> <laughs> and that's why they're so strong and well built. So nice. It's, it's, they take pride in having a lot of cream and full fat milk. So and don't they don't shy away from, um, you know, a, a good like you know, a, like. Yeah, full fat milk basically, and um, similarly raw milk. It's uh, it's definitely encouraged. So there's no there's no clear cut rule about you know making a raw milk cheese and aging it for a certain time before selling it or any of any of that. But 
yes, uh, there is um, for fresh cheeses. I think you know you have to make it from pasteurized milk. It's just safer. Uh-huh. So, so for a fresh cheese, everyone makes it from uh, pasteurized milk, and every like you know, aged cheese raw milk is fine. Yeah. That sounds uh, that sounds pretty safe, especially considering the fact that uh, how does how does milk get distributed in, in India? Does it it passes through? There's a large collective, correct? Or to, for um, there's something like what 15 uh, million producers of milk in India, or something like that. Uh, yeah, there's yeah, there's there was um, I think in 2000 and um, 2013 there were about like 132 million ton metric tons, you know. Yeah, you have produce. to. So that was that was a lot of milk. Um, a lot of it, yes, comes from cooperatives. There's possibly around, say, 500 liters um, a year on an average that's produced by these small farms. Yeah. And then that collectively goes to the. So Amul is the cooperative. Yeah, that was started in like and, 1940 or 1946, correct? Like, yeah, started like the you know the White Revolution, and that yeah. has really helped the country. Uh, in terms of, especially there's so much, um, you know, malnutrition and uh, hunger and you know poverty and milk as milk as a as an ingredient as a source of you know calcium to especially to kids. So even though it's a cooperative and it's you know it's all homogenized and ultra pasteurized, it has helped seep some of the some some of its nutrients to. You know, a ton of people. Yeah, that's a, that that I was reading about that that co-op, and it it seems like that helped to change the whole culture of dairy consumption in uh, in India. Obviously, it did. And then the whole point of a co-op is for you to be able to distribute your own milk or your own goods uh, throughout wherever you're at without uh, um, interference from, I guess, unnecessary merchants or people who would tax you. So. I just thought that was crazy. And then it started out with a few hundred liters of milk, right? It's like just a tiny bit of milk and grew into this massive um, this massive cooperative dairy, which is great. Um, it is. It's, and there's so much of everything, like employment and, uh, you know, education. And all of that just came with it. So it was, it was a really good uh, movement that took place. It was much needed. And uh, Amul processed cheese, Amul cheese, as it's called, is literally what everyone grew up with in India. Like, if you talk about one, name one cheese that every single Indian knows. I'm not, I'm not talking about a certain um, number, you know, a certain percentage of society in cities. Uh, I'm talking about no, everybody. general India. Yeah. Like, it is, it will be Amal cheese, yeah. It's like the craft singles of, uh, of yes. or, but, but, yes. but with a better, with a better story behind it, with a better, with a better, a better purpose. <laughs> uh, yeah, a little, a little bit of a <laughs> that's heartfelt. Fan- <laughs> yeah, well, that's fantastic. I, I think that that's, uh, that's an interesting uh, progression uh, of, of, uh, of, well, just of the culture of the of the consumption of dairy. First, you had to get the dairy from the farms to all of the people, and by manipulating the trade and, and getting everybody to be a co-op. And now it seems like there's a, a second, more subtle, um, and uh, much more pleasant uh, revolution going on of, of artisan cheese making. And uh, or would would you agree with that? Yes, definitely. Art, artisan cheese making is on a rise in uh, in India and. Uh, there are a couple of large uh, French cheese-making companies also that are investing 
um, seeing potential, especially with uh, you know the abundance of milk. And they're setting up plants here. They're setting up uh, cheese factories right next to the sources of milk. And um, yeah, I feel I feel in the next five years itself, there's going to be a bunch of cheese that is going to uh, be produced here. A lot of it gets again consumed with uh, in in pizzas and pastas and just like general like sandwiches. Uh, not not eaten as is on a platter. Not enjoyed as much. Uh, but it's growing, and I'm very excited and hopeful with all the new stuff that is about to come. Are have you, you heard of pav bhaji? I have not. Maybe you can talk to me a little bit about that. It's. Uh, I mean, it's it's out of context in a way, but it's uh, basically uh, a bun, a, like a bread bun, uh-huh. with uh, mixed veggies and a lot of butter. Uh, that sounds mashed, good. Mashed, mixed it. And it has a special masala to it. It's called pav bhaji masala. Uh-huh. And so what I, what I, it's, it's a masala flavor that is also, you know, fami- everyone in India is familiar with that kind sure. of masala taste. So what I'm also trying to do is, uh, one of the things I'm looking to make is a tabaku uh, with, instead of herbs de province, I'm going to put, like, whole pao bhaji masala. Oh, wow. Places. That's great. I mean, so, tabaku is the cheese that you like make now, fusion. right? Yeah. Well, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Uh, tell me a little more about that fusion you were just talking about. I'm sorry. I just get so excited no, when it comes to talking about cheese. Yeah. So you're going to make a little goat cheese. You make a little uh, French-inspired goat cheeses, like Loire River Valley-inspired goat cheeses, correct? And right. Make, I have little, little chev uh, quartine shaped, and I'm going to be making... Uh, Oh, I'm also making uh, a feta-style cheese with uh-huh. pure goat milk. Uh, I've called it Aristeus, yeah. which is after the Greek god of, of uh, cheese making. So I, I, I'm having fun naming them. I'm having fun making them. And, yeah, and just... It also sounds like you're fun. It must be great for you um, just to know that uh, you're at the, the forefront of that and be a part of that small community of, uh, of people um, and that you're making a difference um, in what you're doing. Uh, are you seeing people come to you and ask for the cheese or the, the culture of, uh, of how cheese is consumed in India? You're, uh, you're directly affecting that and how um, affecting change. You're make, making people see things in a new and, like you said, fun way. Then that must be a great feeling for you. Yes, it definitely puts me on a high. I love, I love <laughs> that feeling of talking to people about cheese and seeing the passion, you know, expand. I, especially when I did a class with children, with, with um, you know, four to ten-year-olds, and there were about 40 kids. Yeah. And they were so frank in their opinion, and uh, children the they best had no, uh, you know, bias towards yeah. blue cheese, especially, and... It's just, it just, it's just inspiring. I'm constantly learning, constantly, you know, spreading the passion. <laughs> no, as a cheesemonger, I love that too. Um, I know that I was uh, afraid of my food when I was a child, a little bit, and uh, it's great when you see kids eating things like that. Uh, that you know, yeah, cheeses yeah. that smell or they they taste kind of, uh, they're kind of a strong taste. But you say the children have no preconceived notions of right and wrong in that. You know, you can shape what their palates are like when they're young, which is great. Yes, exactly. 
That's fantastic. Um, well, I wanted to ask you one more question. Um, if I was wondering if, if you could just talk to my, my listeners and say what a, what can artisan cheesemakers and you know and consumers of artisan cheese uh, learn from the cheese move, movement in Mumbai? Um, so are, are we talking about um, cheese Ameri- that? Yeah, uh, by the way, yeah, yeah, yeah. We need to talk about cheese, Indian cheese. Yes. Uh, apart from cheese made in India by other people, so there is a bunch of Indian origin cheese. Apart from paneer, there's Kalari in Kashmir, there's Churpi near the border of, you know, Nepal, Bhutan, and uh, northeast India. And then there's Bandel. So Bandel was made by the Portuguese Uh in the town of Bandel near West Bengal, again, northeast India. And it's a smoked, it's a heavily smoked cheese, uh, extremely dry, and it tastes, it smells like a like a cigarette sure to be you know it's that kind of smoky yeah. not not so, like wood smoky tobacco and uh it, it it's very very highly salted very high on sodium and it travels really well sure um it crumbles a bit it's grayish in color and uh yeah we this one time we made a um you know salsa from it we used we made a uh you know non-salted salsa and we Use the cheese on top of the the bundle on top of that, and it went really well. So it it, it can go as as a you know. It's called bundle. Highly smoky feta substitute, maybe. So it's a salted. <laughs> but in really curdy. small doses. <laughs> That's a curd, uh, like a cow's milk cheese, right? So cow's milk cheese, heavily salted yeah, and, and it's smoked. Very, very crude in the way it looks and the way sure. it's made. All gnarly and bumpy, kind of uh, kind of looking, and like brown from the smoking process. Right. Right. Yeah, grayish brown. Yeah. Sure. And uh, kalari again is used inside, sort of like a roti roti bread. Uh-huh. Kind of. It's it's stuffed inside with green chilies, and that's eaten as a uh, that's eaten as a dish. And uh, churpi is again uh, really chewy. Yeah. It's yeah. a chewy, almost uh, dark, really dark brown, blackish kind of cheese. Blackish. Which recently I read an article it's being used as a dog treat in some of the country. <laughs> okay. Um, I, it's good. Do- you know, dogs are getting good cheese. <laughs> yes. Hey, dogs have to have good cheese too. Um, and then there was yeah. a Kashmiri cheese you had mentioned in the beginning of uh, of your of your of our little question here. What's that one? Uh, sorry, which one was it? You said that there was a Kashmiri specialty also that you had mentioned. Yeah, that's the Kalari. That's yeah. the smoke. That's the that's oh that's the no yeah, no Kalari Kashmir. Yeah, Bandel uh, smoked. Yes, and salty, and Chirpi is northeast Indian. Kind of originating in Nepal and Bhutan. So most of the cheese that's made, or most of the cheese that's consumed, from what I'm gathering, is it comes from the north of the country. And, right. and is the south the cuisine? Is it, is it just too hot there? Is it for really for cheese yes, and, and super dairy hot, consumption? Super humid, and the only cheese that's now been made there is by you know is much much later. Not it's not an ancient uh, cheese making you know section. Uh, but but also surprisingly, there is a lot of cheese in our sweet dishes that we uh, that I need to talk to you about. Sure. So there's um, there's a bunch of uh, so there's koya which is which is like a really uh, you know condensed milk but uh-huh. it's it's it kind of goes as a dairy product more 
than uh, a cheese per se, but it's um, it's it's used in as a as one of the main ingredients in a lot of sweet dishes. It's there's this thing called laddu. There is rasmalai, uh, and then there is also rasgulla um, itself, which uh, again my friend Adi had um, and I were talking about it the the other day, and he also pointed out to me that. Rasgulla, the way it is made, is so similar to ricotta. Ah, interesting. So, it's think of probably a, a, it's much more spongy, but think yeah. of a you know ricotta type of a cousin probably, and it has it's it's in a spongy ball like a round shape, and you put it in a liquid, uh, you know, sweetened liquid. Yeah. Watery, very watery sweet. So it's dipped in that, and then the way you have it is you. Take out the ball. You squeeze it. Take out all the liquid water, the sweet liquid water, yeah. and that's you consume. And then you need to go try it at an Indian uh, sweet shop, sweet shop sure. in uh, America, and you'll see the texture. It's very similar to ricotta. That's fantastic. I, I think it's great um, that and you that you are so passionate about not only the uh, the cheeses that you you know the, the cheese recipes you you've imported and from you know from your own life experiences, but also right. the indigenous um, the way that dairy is used in your in your country. That's fantastic. That's great. Yeah, definitely, it's 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 about cheese and you know slow food and and slow cheese and cheese and how it affects every you know history and. The industry also, and about education, all of that related to cheese is, is, is what I like. That's great, and when you discover, uh, as many of us have who who love uh, cheese and the, and the well, how we work, uh, that that just becomes the window through which you see the world around you. It's fantastic, and it's a it's a good view from that window. <laughs> if you, if you take <laughs> Definitely. <it. laughs> well, I want to uh, to thank all of our uh, of our listeners for tuning in, and I want to thank you so much to my guest, uh, Mansi Jassani. You're um, most welcome. Uh, your passion is fantastic. I'm looking forward to meeting you at the Cheesemonger Invitational when you come over this year. And, Definitely. Um, and we'll I will be out. there, and I'll be there at ECS and in Bra for Slow Cheese, so. Well, thank you so much for your time, and you enjoy your Friday evening in Mumbai. Take care. Yes, thank you. Have a good day. Sure. Be sure to tune in next week, guys. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us with questions anytime at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.